The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay. So this is a second in a series that I'm doing on connection. Connection's kind of a general, open word. Lots of ways we can interpret that. Tonight I'm going to focus on the connections between two people, or one person and other people, or between individuals, let's say that. And as I spoke about a little bit last week, you know, connection and having friends, having community is a big part of the Buddhist path of practice. I think all of us have this experience of being influenced by the people that we spend time with. As well as we just learn from each other, whether we intend to or not. Sometimes we learn about ourselves when we see somebody doing something that we do. Maybe we learn something a little bit more about ourselves when we see what we're doing being acted out in somebody else. And this idea of um, practicing together, sometimes we just, it's helpful to have some support. Whether it's support to sit still for however long we're here in this room, or support when we're going through difficulties. To know that there's other people who experience difficulties or can offer some wisdom or can offer some empathy, whatever it might be. But a big part of these different ways in which we interact, not 100%, but a big part is about communication. Like how do we talk to one another? How do we listen to one another? So that's a little bit what I'd like to talk about tonight, is communicating. We all know this is important. I'm not going to say, tell you that you, something that you don't already know about its importance, but maybe I'm hoping to add a little bit more, maybe some things to think about and how it can be such a part of our practice. Maybe I'll start with this idea that conversation is a part of the Buddhist practice. Those of you who are familiar with the Eightfold Path, I'm not going to go into it this evening, but those of you who are familiar with it know that it includes wise intention and wise speech. And often getting in touch with our intentions and setting intentions it's really important. It's such a big part of how we are in the world, how we show up in the world. And of course, speech is a big part of conversation. So I'll be weaving some of those ideas in. But maybe I'd first like to start with um, also another big part of practice, of course, is being just being mindful, being present, being aware, knowing what we're doing when we're doing it. And so part of, maybe we might say, a mindful conversation is consciously choosing when to speak and when to listen. Sometimes we feel this compulsion to speak, and sometimes we feel this real hesitation and don't speak. But to such a rich area of practice, not only to build connections with other people, in which it certainly does, but also to learn about ourselves, to learn about letting go, to learn about what's really happening. These types of things are the way for greater and greater freedom, greater ease. So practicing in the realm of conversation is a way, of course, that can help with connection, which helps support our having greater happiness and freedom and peace but also the same skills that we develop and cultivate and maybe even monitor are the same skills that will help us find happiness and peace, even if we're stumbling around in our conversations and we're still finding our way with them. So 
So of course, I pointed to conversation having both listening and speaking as part of conversation. I'd like to say a little bit about listening. If we really listen to someone else, it's a way to respect someone else. It's a way that we show respect. We all know what it's like to be dismissed. Somebody's not paying attention to us. Maybe we dismiss others. But to really listen is to show, to send the message, okay, I see you. I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I'm here. And this really helps form a connection. So we might define mindful listening as a focused attention on what another person is saying with clear attention and interest. It also, a way to think about it also, it's kind of like embodied listening, like all of us is here, we're not like distracted somewhere else, but all parts of ourselves as best we can are here and we're listening in a mindful way. And just as in mindfulness meditation, when we have an object and then the mind wanders, and then when we notice the mind has wandered, we come back in precisely the same way. Mindful listening, when we notice, oh, we're often thought, thinking about something else, maybe something that they said reminded us of something. So in the same way, mindful listening is when we notice we're no longer paying attention, just very gently come back. What are they saying? This way it can help cultivate mindfulness too. It's the same capability of noticing when you're lost in thought and coming back. It's the exact same capacity. And of course, when we're practicing mindful listening, We're listening for the purpose of listening. We're not listening for some other agenda. But often we don't even know that we have other agendas. We may not be aware of what they are. So a big part of listening is also to practice some self-awareness, like what's going on with me? What's going on? What am I experiencing while I'm listening? So that we can listen with greater care, so that we can notice when we're not present, so that we can notice. And then it maybe even put aside, notice and put aside our agendas, our preferences, our opinions, our judgments, so that we can be present for what's happening and not be dismissive or not turn away or not be not discount what the other person is saying we've all had that f- experience i imagine where somebody isn't really paying attention to us and it's not a good feeling and it doesn't feel like you want to necessarily cultivate or it doesn't certainly further a connection or relationship So also the self-awareness of why we're listening entails noticing our, the impact to what is what we're hearing, the impact that it has on us. That may be um, fear or sadness, love, curiosity, whatever it might be, just for us to have a little bit uh, tuned in to what's happening with ourselves. It can help us be aware of what our body language might be communicating, and what the tone of voice we might have, or the attitude that we might have, which might influence the way in which we speak. So rather than maybe bouncing off of what somebody said because it elicits a particular reaction, if we have some awareness, we can notice like, oh, yeah, that reminded me of that time that X happened. And instead of allowing ourselves to get drift away or carried away into 
that memory, some of the self-awareness and this intention to be mindful can help us come back and connect with what's happening. But a part of listening is not just listening to the words. Of course, it's a big part, but it's not all of it. I think all of us know this, too. But to listen to the subtext, what's being said. It's the obvious things about what's being said, but what are they trying to communicate? The person, what they're communicating, they may not even know what this subtext is. We can this way, if we kind of try to listen to what are the needs that are being expressed? Do they have a need to, do they feel like they want to be seen? Then we can acknowledge them. Is there a subtext of, do you care about me? Is it safe here? Are you safe? There may be these, you know, underlying messages. And as best we can, we can address them. Maybe not in the specific way that the individual is asking. For example, this is like a stereotypical one. When um, somebody that we care about asks, does this look okay on me? And it really doesn't. (laughs) Maybe the subtext, there's maybe a few, like... Do you care about me enough even though I'm wearing something that might be less than flattering? Or do you care about me to help support me when I'm about to go do go out into the world in a way and I'm feeling a little bit insecure or something like this? So rather than say, oh, you look fine. <laughs> you always look fine. We're going to be late. <laughs> Maybe we can address what's, you know, what's really being asked. Yeah, you know I care about you. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. You should wear something in which you feel confident in. Do you feel confident in that? Here's a way to kind of address these things. One way is listening, is to hear what's not being explicitly said. And this, and then in that way we can empathize and address with what the other, the person we're listening to, what their needs are. And maybe we can separate what their needs are and then their specific strategy for getting that need met. Asking how this looks on me, is their strategy for getting that need met? Maybe we don't have to address that strategy if it's, one that we feel uncomfortable with, and I'll talk about this in a moment, if we feel like, in fact, it doesn't look good on them, instead of saying, well, you know, the truth is it actually makes you look fat. (laughs) So maybe rather than addressing the specifics of what they're saying, what's, what's underneath? But sometimes we can't pay attention or hear the subtext what's underneath. Sometimes we have some obstructions ourselves that prevent us from listening well. Maybe we want to impress the other person and demonstrate how much we know or demonstrate something about ourselves. So we're not even really listening. We're just waiting for them to stop talking so that then we can say something. Or maybe we're not really paying attention or maybe we're being dismissive because we disagree with what they're saying. And as soon as they say something that, nope, I don't like this, then we just tune out and disconnect. Maybe we're not paying attention because um, we don't think we have possibly anything we could learn from a this type of person or this person, whatever it might be. We might think that, oh, we already know so much more than this other person. There's something to learn from everybody. 
If nothing else, we learn about ourselves, right, and our reactions to people. And then, of course, sometimes we don't listen well, because how often do we have our phones in our hands, or we're doing something else, or, you know, multitasking. Not just simply paying attention, listening. Everybody's worth listening to, including ourselves. One way to have connection with others and to support a vibrant, nourishing community is to listen to others. And to learn about ourselves and notice when it's difficult to listen. Notice what gets in the way for us to listen. And of course, speaking is the other part of conversation. Just about understanding ourselves and understanding what helps us or prevents us from being a good listener or what supports us from being a good listener. Understanding ourselves also helps us to know our intentions for speaking. Both what is the subtext we have when we're speaking and maybe what is the motivation. So our motivations, our intentions are rarely pure. We don't have to wait till it's 100% pure compassion, care, love, whatever it might be. What's important here is to tap into so we can learn what our motivations are. Are they mostly, they're mixed, but they're mostly here. Or even if they are mixed, maybe we can even communicate this and say, you know, I have a number of reasons for saying this, but I curious about, I want to know, or or say something like this. But just to check in, what are our motivations? Because so many of us, all of us, I would say, are conditioned in the sense that often we want to be right. We want to get our way. We want to be viewed positively. We want people to like us. All these things may be part of our motivation underneath there. It's part of being human. So the more that we are aware of that, the less that can get in the way of really connecting, get in the way of saying what's true for us, saying what's authentic for us. And if we are feeling some anxiety or tension about speaking, either a pressure to speak or a real hesitation to speak, either of those, we might check in and just ask ourselves, is what, is what we're about to say, is it rude or not say, or whatever the, the little energy we have around it to speak or to not speak, Just check in and see if it's related to some deeper needs we might have. That is, a need to be seen, to be heard, to feel safe, to feel accepted, to feel like we belong. The more that we're um, able to, more that we're aware of these, the less strength they have in pushing us around and saying things that we might regret or not saying things when we wish that we had. So the, but the less confident we feel in meeting these needs, then there will be a little bit more energy around either speaking or not speaking. But once we're aware of those needs, maybe we can connect with, maybe even there's some deeper ones. And something that's more sustaining 
nourishing and supporting. And that is motivations of non-harming, not harming other people. Maybe there's some motivations of wanting to work in harmony, have some peace and ease. Maybe there's some motivation about compassion for others. Maybe there's some motivation about simplicity, wanting things to be simple and clear. If so, maybe we can tap into those and have them support us. So of course, expressing those is a big part of the Buddhist practice of towards finding greater ease and greater peace and greater freedom. So if we have those intentions to allow ourselves to feel them, tap into them and allow them to be part of what we're speaking about or that informs what we're speaking about if, if it's not the exact topic. But to come from there as best we can. We, can't, we don't always have access to that, but as best we can. And whatever our needs might be that we're trying to express, to express them in such a way that we're not making demands, not making other people feel uncomfortable, but expressing our needs in such a way that they can be heard and in a way that's in harmony with the conversation, that is a tremendous path to growth. It's a part, it's a way of letting go. Like, I feel like I need this, but what are the conditions that will help support that to arise? How can I express a way that's not demanding, that's sharing, that's coming from a place of groundedness and authenticity? Because our needs aren't the problem. We all have needs, of course we do. Sometimes gets into the problem is when we are rigidly clinging to a particular strategy we have for getting those needs met. Don't slam the door, we're just yelling, like you slam the door again whenever you leave or making this up. Our need is maybe to have some peace or quiet. Maybe our need is to not, is to feel safe. So if we can communicate instead about uh, the quiet, the wish for quiet or wish for safety, then this, instead of yelling about not slamming the door, <laughs> there can be a different type of conversation. One that maybe the person is still slamming the door, but now there's a different understanding around it. Or maybe there's something that the person who doesn't want the door slammed can do so that the door doesn't get slammed, whatever it might be. So of course, about speaking, there's a number of, uh, in the early Buddhist scriptures, in the, in the text, there's a number of places, a number of ways in which the Buddha gives guidance on speaking. I'm not going to go into all of them tonight. I'm just going to highlight a few. One of the guidances, guidelines is to abandon harsh speech. That is kind of like abusive speech or actually the um, a quote is here it says Abandoning harsh speech, one refrains from harsh speech. Sometimes this who does have this kind of circular language in there. Only such speech that is blameless, pleasing to the ear, agreeable, reaching the heart, urbane, pleasing to the multitude, attractive to the multitude, 
Only that kind of speech is spoken. So this idea of not blaming or being pleasing. I also want to, I'll I'll say more about speech here. This isn't the only criteria for speech, right? If we were to say this, then, then we would be telling lies left and right all the time, right? For only saying what's pleasing and what's uh, agreeable. But this idea of to abandon harsh speech is related to an intention for non-harming. Part of harsh speech, part of the definition is that is which harms. It feels a little painful or a little zing when somebody hears it. Can we speak in a way that doesn't have zings. So one way to do that is to avoid confrontational language or to avoid blaming. And so it's quite uh, quite something how sometimes this confrontational or blaming can go under the radar a little bit, but it's still there. An example is to um, this expression I heard not too long ago. I thought it was uh, I really liked it to avoid blame bombs. <laughs> What's a blame bomb? Is to when you are talking to somebody and you feel like you want to share your emotions, you want to share what's really happening for you. And you say, I feel insulted. I feel betrayed. What's really saying here is, you are insulting me. You are betraying me. You have betrayed me. You have insulted me. Instead, we, the emotions are, I feel sad, I feel angry, I feel confused, I feel surprised. But to use words like insulted or betrayed, ignored, misunderstood, those are actually like blaming the other person as opposed to really expressing what's happening with us. That can often creep into our speech. But a big part of you know, mindful listening and mindful speak is, speech is to really know what's happening with us now, this moment. Instead of like, you know, pushing it out there, you're, you are making me having this experience, or maybe not even really in touch with the experience, instead using these words, these blame bombs that kind of mix emotion and assumptions and there's a, like a judgment about the other person's intentions. Maybe they didn't mean to ignore us. They didn't, maybe they didn't mean to betray us. But we're assuming that we know. So it's better to, if we're going to talk about our emotions, to talk about the kind of ones that are a bit more foundational happy, sad, angry, joyous, those types of things. Another instruction from the Buddha is to abandon malicious (coughs) speech. And this is can be connected to an intention that we might have for harmony, for connection. So the quote um, from the suttas, from the scriptures, abandoning malicious speech, one refrains from malicious speech. One does not repeat there what one has heard here, to the detriment of these, or to the detriment of those. One is a reconciler of those at variance and an encourager 
of those not at variance, rejoicing in harmony, pleased by harmony, delighting in harmony. One speaks words contributing to harmony. So this encouragement to abandon malicious speech is one that's kind of like saying slanderous things about one person or one group of people. It's really divisive, right? Instead is the encouragement to use speech that helps bring people together. Concord, harmony, connection. Maybe this, maybe there um, won't be a big connection between people in our speech, but at least we're not encouraging disconnection by avoiding malicious speech. And of course, one that's really foundational for speech is to avoid false speech, just kind of language that's used for lying, things that aren't true. And the quote from the suttas is, Abandoning false speech, one refrains from false speech. A speaker of truth, a supporter of truth, trustworthy, dependable, not a deceiver of the world. I like this idea, trustworthy and dependable. There's so much to do about connection to not deceive others. So there's this a story, there's an, a few stories in the suttas about uh, the Buddha teaching his son. It's kind of touching. His son's name was Rahula, and apparently his son had told a lie. So the Buddha says to him, Rahula, when one is not ashamed to tell a deliberate lie, there is no wrongdoing, I say, that one would not do. Therefore, Rahula, you should train thus. I will not utter a falsehood, even in jest. I don't know precisely what the Buddha meant when he said that, but I'm imagining he's instructing his son if you're going to tell deliberate lies, that means you, there's a certain disrespect for yourself, a disrespect for others. And that's just the beginning, right? That kind of like lays a foundation for creating harm in all kinds of ways, either for yourself or for others. But also we might imagine that the Part of the reason, one of the reasons, some of the reasons why we do mindfulness practice, why we do Buddhist practice, is to see clearly. Quiet the mind so that we can see clearly. And with the way to greater freedom, the greater peace and greater ease, is to see clearly about what's actually happening. What's actually happening with myself, what's happening with others big, big, big part of Buddhist practice is to be able to see clearly. Lying, this obfuscation, is the opposite of seeing clearly. It's the other direction. This might be a reason why the Buddha is saying to his son, don't lie, not even in jest. Of course, lying disrupts social cohesion and connections. So what is a lie? I would say that a lie is to intentionally mislead others when they expect honest communication. There may be when they're expecting honest communication, right? There may be context when it's a play or something like this, right? We're deceiving others, right? We want them to think that we're a character that we're not. 
And part of lying is to do it intentionally. We may say things thinking they're true that later turn out to be not true. Those aren't lies. So people lie so that others will form beliefs that are not true. So to speak truthfully is to accurately represent your own beliefs. What, what, what are your, what do you know, what do you believe? And people lie for many reasons. To avoid embarrassment, to exaggerate their accomplishments, to disguise wrongdoing. They, perhaps they make promises they don't intend to keep to make others feel better, or make themselves feel better. They lie to conceal defects and their wares, what they're trying to sell you perhaps, or to mislead a competitor or to spare the feelings of others. I'll talk about a little bit about that in a minute. But if we have a commitment to be honest with ourselves, with others, then there's a commitment, then this commitment avoids a whole range of problems. It may be at the cost of occasional short-term discomfort. To say the truth is sometimes uncomfortable. But to do so helps create a foundation because honesty, like real honesty, forces any dysfunction we have in our lives, dysfunction in our relationships, dysfunction in the way that we're trying to take care of ourselves, it kind of forces it to the surface. Because if there's something terribly wrong in your relationship or even mildly wrong or sometimes lies are the way that those things get perpetuated. The lies of just, yeah, everything's fine when somebody asks. Or if we're struggling with addiction or compulsion, lying is the lifeblood to that. And if we have a commitment to honesty, those things will come up. And we can get the support and the help that we need. So if we have no recourse to lies, that is, we have this commitment to honesty, then our lives can only unravel so far. But with lies, they can unravel, unravel, unravel. So this commitment to honesty is really a tremendous support for our life. In addition to building connection with others, it builds a connection to ourselves. And so partly when we deliberately misrepresent our beliefs, we in some way kind of destroy our moral wealth. Kind of like undermine or chip away at our sincerity, our authenticity, our integrity, and some mutual understanding we might have with others. But of course we might think about what we call white lies. These are small lies just to help somebody feel better. Surely those must be okay. (laughs) But really, those types of lies also compromises our connections to others. If we're telling these small, what we think are inconsequential lies, to our friends, to our loved ones, people we care about. In some way, we are denying them access to reality in some kind of way. If that shirt really does look awful, (laughs) 
we're assuming that we know what's better, that they shouldn't know that it looks awful. I'm not saying that we should tell them that it's awful. But in some way, it's, um, it's kind of like a failure of friendship to say in a way, you know, I think I've seen you wear that blue shirt that's really beautiful. <laughs> to say something like that. Or to say, if they are asking about it, and it, you know what the subtext is, I care about you, I love you, no matter what you're wearing or what you look like. So different ways, rather than saying white lies, we can either talk to the subtext or we can say something else. <laughs> Recently, um, at these pair of pants I wasn't too sure about and I asked my friend who's a committed practitioner what do you think about these pants her response was <laughs> oh that's blouse I haven't seen you wear that blouse before I'm like no the pants I want to care about the pants she said uh, that's a nice color of blouse on you <laughs> <laughs> oh okay I got it it was nice, right? It was, my feelings weren't hurt. I appreciated so much. She was practicing right speech. And she sent the message right, very clear to me that, okay, she didn't like these pants. It was, it was done in a nice kind of playful way. I got it. So sometimes, you know, the white lies, you know, we're... There's sometimes like it's it's a failure of friendship. I felt I did have this upwelling of my friend. She was trying to take care of me, and yet let me know that these pants weren't so great. You know, I had a little doubt myself. That's why I was asking her, because she cared about me. Is why she was saying that. So in some ways, to say, you know, what my, what my friend did there, to talk about the blouse, and I kept on asking her about the pants, it does require a little bit more energy, right? She had to be on her toes. She had to be paying attention to what I was saying and not just kind of half-heartedly say, yeah, they look fine, Diana. So in that way, some re- listening... So what's happening to ourselves, what's happening to others while we're in conversation really can help provide opportunities for us to really take care of our friends, our loved ones, the people we care about, maybe even strangers too. And of course we all know this, that when we don't tell the truth, trust is eroded. And trust is so important for relationships, for connection. We all know this. Connections can only go so far without more and more trust. But you might wonder about, well, what about offering like insincere praise? Oh, that was great! When actually you kind of thought, it wasn't so great. They could have used a little something else. So in some ways, insincere praise is it's a little like treating others like children, thinking that they aren't able to hear what you have to say. I'm not saying that we say, actually, that was awful. But for us to really pay attention, how can we, in a kind way, in a way that respects our friend, person we're speaking with, say, you know, this paper that you wrote, it's beautiful, I love the effort you put into it and the intention, but I'm not sure that I quite understood what you were trying to say there. Let them know that there can be a more work as needs to be done on this thing that they wrote or Instead of saying, yeah, it was great. That email's great, just go ahead and send it. Instead to say, well, I, I've got, I found myself getting confused. I appreciate that. I can, it's clear effort was put in here, but I'm not sure it was clear. 
And in some way, if we don't offer insincere praise, sometimes like valid critique is precisely what is really helpful for somebody. Like, oh, right, I was working on this assumption about X, Y, Z, and that's why I did it this way. But now from your response, your criticism, your critique, I see that that assumption I had isn't quite right. It isn't accurate, and other people don't have that same assumption. That's enormously valuable to have. It requires care to give people some criticism, some feedback. I've been in quite a few training programs and some of these training programs have entailed um, two people speaking to one another and a third person observing. And the third person is supposed to give critique to the two people, primarily to the person who's doing the most of the speaking. And I've been in um, where I'm the one speaking and then the other person says, oh, that was great. And then I feel like, oh, but I didn't learn anything here. But I've also been where the third person says, you know, when you crossed your legs like that, when you were saying that, you were kind of sending a signal that you were no longer so open or whatever the specific critique was. I myself felt really appreciative of that. So like, yes, I'm in a training program. We have somebody giving us feedback specifically so we can become better. So when somebody asks for feedback rather than insincere praise, which is a form of lying, if you don't really believe it, is enormously helpful. And then of course, we all know this too, that lying begets lying. There's a certain type of accounting has to take place Wait, so I can't tell them that because then I might have to tell them that or another this other person will say this and yeah, I'll never forget this. This is I yeah, this was many years ago. It had such a big impact on me. That I hadn't told a really good friend kind of an important thing that was happening in my life. And then I had told some other friends and then we were all getting together for dinner and I had to go around and tell, now don't mention this because this person doesn't know and, and then I had to go tell this other person, now don't mention anybody this because, oh, that was awful. When I realized that I had like set this up, I just thought, oh, this is crazy. What am I doing with my life? I don't want to live a life like this that I have to go tell these people not to tell this person that. It's awful. One of the first practices I started when I started with Buddhist practice was complete honesty. Complete honesty. It was so powerful. It was so powerful. It just, the quality of my life went up so much with this commitment to honesty for myself and for others. So lying, almost by definition, is in some ways a refusal to cooperate with others in some kind of way. It's a, like a saying, I, I'm not going to connect in a real, authentic way. Instead, it's to recoil from relationship or to pull back from connection. My relationships changed when I made this real commitment to honesty. You might ask yourself, how would your relationships be different if you were honest and kind, spoke with compassion and care, and if you listened with mindful listening and embodied listening? And while you were in conversations, if you noticed that you have a choice of when to listen and when to speak, and not to just speak when you feel uh, this compulsion to speak, allow some pauses. Allow yourself to think. Allow yourself 
to sink in what you just heard. Conversation is so powerful, so rich, and such a wonderful, wonderful place to practice. Practice mindfulness, being present. Practice with our intentions. What are our intentions? Can we tap into them? Can we... What are our beliefs? What do we know? What are our needs? So that we can express them truthfully, carefully, with respect to others, to those that we're trying to make a connection with. We have one minute, so maybe we'll just sit quietly for one minute. I apologize for not leaving time for questions. I'll stay up here. You're more than welcome to come up here and ask me. Otherwise, I wish you a wonderful evening and may you have some conversations that nourish you and support you and have uh, some connection that's meaningful for you. Thank you.